Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be back. If you're new, I was gone for a few weeks this summer on a sabbatical, and I feel so good about it being fall. Fall just brings this newness, even though the seasons are changing. It's kind of a new season. It's also a new school year, which always feels a little, a little refreshing, a little renewing. And then, of course, one thing I discovered as I was uh, away was that there's also these new things called new apps. I'd forgotten how much of an iDevice lover or maybe just geek that I am. So I started thinking about what are these new apps that I haven't updated in, in, in a few years, actually. And so... Did you guys hear about this new one called Invisible Text? It's just out this week. And Invisible Text is touting that um, you can send a message to someone. I mean, message meaning a video, a picture, a voice message, or just a regular text. And then set a timer for how long they'll have it until it self-destructs if they don't open it. Now, think about this. This could be a really good thing. If you want to send this cryptid message to someone, but, um, and, and if they don't open it in time, someone else won't look at their phone and open it, like, say, a parent or something like that. I know what you're thinking, especially if you're a parent. Why did you just give my teenager that idea? But <laughs> most of the middle schoolers should be out having their middle school group right now. So if not, you can go out right now. But, but here, there's two catches to this... this uh, this text, this new device. Number one, the recipient also has to have the app called Invisible Text in order for this to work. Oh, and the one other thing is if they've opened it, you can't get it back. Isn't that always how it is? When we say something or do something, once it's out there, it's not coming back. And oftentimes, there are things that we've said or things that we've done that we would love, love to get back. And, and we'll look at how God does that to us, how he can restore that. Because see, I was thinking about a friend of mine who 40 years ago can still remember the third grade classroom and the setting of this teacher, Mrs. Anderson, who would sit in silent reading time at her desk pretending to read, but really she was just looking over top of the book and she was looking out at these third graders to make sure that they were paying attention, to make sure they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And do you know what third graders do when they're in silent reading time? They sometimes like to um, put their fingers in, in their nose or in their mouth or maybe in their nose and then their mouth. And so she would scan the room and she would, she would point the student out and say their name and she would do this. Fingers, fingers, David, put your fingers in your pockets. And now every child knows in the room, like, how are they supposed to silent read now? Because the teacher's yelling, oh, fingers, Michael. Fingers. Boom, I'm busted. I put my hand. And what third grader does not at least pick their nose once in school? Maybe it's just me, but um, there are these small things, these minor mistakes that we make that all of a sudden become these major labels that we cannot ever get rid of. Maybe you're someone who made a stupid decision and somebody found out, and now all you think is, I am stupid. Or you were a teenager that, that took your driver's test and had to take it again. 
and again and again and again. And so you think, I am just a five-time failed driving test. That's my label. That's what I wear. And maybe you didn't have that happen. Maybe you're just kind of an average student. You got average grades. And, and you're, in fact, you're, even your band teacher said, you know, I think you're just going to be an average trumpet player. And so now you have this idea, this label that I am average. I'm going to have average grades, and I'm going to be an average graduate. I'll probably get an average job, have an average life. Hopefully I'll have an average death. But you have this permanent belief that you are average. See, we think these things just happen in school. Like, sure, maybe when we're adults, we don't have someone yelling, fingers, Robert, fingers. But we have other things that go through our minds. Maybe someone hasn't said it, but maybe there's this label on you that says, oh, you know what, I really, really want to have someone by my side, and, and, and I, I want to find that person. I haven't found that person. And so as you're, you're wondering if, if you're ever going to find that right person or maybe if you're ever going to be that right person, you just have this label that says, I am single, and you feel like you wear it everywhere you go. Or you thought that you were going to be the MVS of your your division, you know, most valuable spouse, and you thought you were going to get a husband of the year award or a wife of the year award, and instead your marriage is so on the rocks or your relationship is so on the rocks that, that you think you could have a I am a failure on your chest. See, we have these things that we do. We have these things that we say that started as this innocent thought that went horribly bad or maybe it was never an innocent thought it was just a stupid decision and now everybody knows and it's this label that I try to hide I try to put away I don't want anyone else to find out and so we think these labels are going to mark us forever and we we look at them the same way as we look at those mattress tags do not remove under penalty of law And we think that for some reason we've got to have this, that it won't ever come off. And so all we can think to do is, I got to cover it up. I got to hide it. I can't let anyone see it. And I see adult after adult, I mean, graduate degree after graduate degree of of very intelligent people who obviously are covering up layers and layers over top of this label. You might not be able to tell what their label is, but by some reaction they have or or something they do or some awkward thing that they try and avoid, you know that they are trying to cover something up. But here's here's the sad part. All our attempts to hide these mistakes, all our attempts to put these labels in the past and to cover them up, we do the very thing that we're trying to prevent. We lose our true identity. That's why we're in this series. That's why we're going to start this series about I am. This identity piece of us, of who we are. If we can understand who we are, then we can understand how to think and what to do. Because we're a church that wants to not have babies that have a bad experience in the, in the children's ministry area. I pray for that child, Jesus. But we're a church that that wants to restore people with the one true God to have our one true identity. Our identity that he says we are. Then we'll know how to think. Then we'll know what to do. Then we'll be able to bring hope to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. 
And Jesus says that his faith and his life flourishes because it flows out of this relationship, this genuine relationship with the one true God. Over and over in scripture, but specifically and especially in the book of John that we're going to look at today, Jesus says this. Jesus shows this. And we'll see in this book, in this particular place in John, of how Jesus uncovers these three layers that we put over our things that we want to hide, these labels that we want to keep in our past. He actually shows us three ways that we can uncover that to discover our true identity. So um, let's pray and get started in John chapter 8. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. If you never have one, we'd love to give one to you. And um, if you want to use it on your iDevice, we won't judge you for it. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for a fall and uh, a freshness to be back. Um, and maybe that's not just me. Maybe there's others that, that have been away from, from your community, whether it's here or, or maybe somewhere else. God, maybe, maybe people are in a transition of not just schools or homes or relationships, but, but faith communities or, or your, their relationship with you. God, I pray that we would hear today from your word of who you say we are. God, that we would, we would look carefully and Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Amen. Well, here we, if we go right to John eight twelve, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And if he is the light of the world, then whoever follows me, Jesus says, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus says this after this incident that takes place. Um, it says in, in John seven fifty three, right before this, that they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and then at dawn the next day. So, but if you have a, a kind of an up-to-date Bible, you might note in yours that it says that the earliest copies of this gospel don't actually show this event in it. And so it's been discussed as to why it's here and if it's valid and, you know, did John really write it? And, and pretty much all the scholars admit that, no, this was not part of the original gospel. But they do think, yes, it's an actual event that happened in Jesus' career or Jesus' life. And, and yes, that someone wrote it and it's valid, but it was probably put somewhere else. And so why would the editors... I think, are also inspired by the people who wrote it. But why would the editors place it here if it wasn't originally part of it? And if it was there, then my mind goes to, then the things that are right before it and the things that are right after it must have significance for it. Maybe you're at a place where you're thinking the exact same thing about right now. Okay, I know I have some labels. I really don't want people to find them. I like having them covered up. It works pretty well for me. And so I'm not even sure if you're going to be able to say anything that's going to help me. Well, then we're in the same spot. See, Jesus says before this point, back in um, John seven thirty seven, at dawn on the next day, and they all went home. Well, they went home... John 7, or 7.37 says, on the last and greatest day of the festival. So the context of this is that these Jewish people, they know how to party. They know how to have 
these moments where they can remember what God did and who he is. And so they have seven big festivals, and three of them they actually have to travel to Jerusalem to do that. And the one that is in particular that's being talked about here is the last one of their year called the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, um, maybe you've referred to it as the Festival of Booze. All this just means is that this was a commemoration time where God protected the Israelites in these temporary shelters through the wilderness. Okay, again, maybe you're thinking, I don't understand the relevance. Well, there was a lot of people in Jesus' day that didn't understand the relevance either. They would go to this festival. They knew they were required to go because of their faith, so it was just something they had to do. Now, on this particular festival, though, it lasted for seven days, and every day there was this candle that was lit, like a giant candelabra. And these candles do not look like little votives. You have to think of the opening ceremonies of the Olympics because these are about anywhere from 8 to 10 feet in diameter, at least, yeah, diameter, uh, by some speculation, and they have 65 liters of oil in each one. So just think 30, 32, two-liter bottles of oil and then a giant wick. And when this thing is lit, it shoots almost twice as high as the temple. This is a huge flame that gives off big illumination. And every night, the first night they would light one, the second night they would light two. And so these would go off and off and off. And on the greatest Day, the last day of the festival, all seven of these are like, I mean, it looks like the temple is on fire. And the next day, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Well, in John, whenever he is about to teach something significant, it is because he's done something significant. So the writers place this story in there as the thing that he did that was something significant that would tie to the fact that he's the light of the world. Okay, so then there must be some very significant piece here that actually connects. And if we look, we'll look at these people every night of the festival. When these would go off, there would be dancing and singing and clapping and praising God. Not like, oh gosh, we got these temporary shelters, but praise God that you protected us. Praise God that you guided us. And on the last night of the festival, there was dancing until dawn. Okay, got to do a few weddings this summer or be a part of a couple weddings this summer. I didn't dance till dawn, but I can see how people do that. And I can see how potentially this episode happened. Lots of festival, lots of eating, lots of drinking, Lots of dancing till dawn, lots of illuminating lights, and then someone's over here and someone's over here, and we see in the story something happen. John 8, verse 2. At dawn the next day, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where the people were gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious elite, they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. Like maybe the festival was a little bit too much fun, not trying to make light of this incident. But they brought a woman caught in the act of ad- or caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to D- Jesus, "Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women." Now, what do you say?
want to talk about being exposed. You want to talk about the labels of your past getting thrust into the forefront. A mistake that you made that you didn't think anyone else would find out about. And it comes rushing into your present. Not just rushing in, but thrust in front of a group, interrupting a group. And then you think about the actual act that was committed here. And the fact that even this act is personal, hurtful, painful. I would say almost embarrassing. Like the most private things of my life now put on public record. And so there's this gut-wrenching piece to the story that we can't miss. The emotions had to be high for her. Maybe not for the religious leaders because maybe they don't care if she's exposed standing there alone. And I wonder where the guy is. But can you imagine what it'd be like? There's these things called GoPro cameras. Maybe you've seen them before. You can stick them on your helmets and you can go biking and record like the things that you do. Well, imagine putting a GoPro helmet cam on your head. So then you'd have to wear a helmet, which would look weird. So go with me, though. Not only to see everything that you see, but also then one that looks down so that, that you can have a camera record everything you're doing. Now, just imagine you've got your two cameras, one looking out and one looking at you, so we can see everything that you're seeing and everything you're doing, and we record that for a week. And then we come back next week and we play the highlight reel. You know, the really good, the really bad, and the really ugly. Anybody want to come in on that one, or anybody else feeling a little scared about that? Like, yeah, there might be some things you didn't want to see in my, my week last week. Well, I imagine that's what she's feeling. And, and the law does say that, that adulterers will be put to death by stoning if two credible witnesses come forward. And so we have this extreme fear the same way that I imagine she has this extreme fear. This is why as much as we know that, that admitting our past or or letting go of our past will, will do us good that so many of us live undercover because we're just not ready to buy it because we just don't want to end up in a situation exactly like this. Like maybe that person's going to get off, but you don't know my stuff. You don't know what I've done. And so we go through life pretending and pretending and pretending. Think about the fact that 15 or 20 years ago, there was more abortions, kind of percentage-wise, happening with girls from Christian colleges than public universities. Or think about the fact that, that people are afraid to come to church. Sometimes they're even afraid to share their past with other Christians because they think that they might be judged. And yet, when we stay silent and we ignore the past, it just finds its way to crawl back in on us, doesn't it? I mean, Psalms said this long time ago, and we just haven't really bought into it or haven't really believed it, but Psalm 32 says that there's a joy for those of us whose disobedience has been forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, the psalmist says. Yes, there's a joy when the Lord has cleared us of the guilt and when our lives are lived in complete honesty. Jesus would say that that is living in the light. But then it says, when we refuse to confess our sin, 
when I refuse to confess my sin, the psalmist says, my body wastes away and I groan all day long. There's an energy that's sapped from us when we try and keep this back here. But again, Jesus being the light of the world would have to bring, like it would have to make a difference if this story is supposed to be in here. So it does. Number one, Jesus as the light of the world. Jesus as the light of the world relabels our past. If this is going to make a difference, like I said, then the festival and Jesus being the light of the world, it has to connect. And it does for her and it does for us. The first thing that he does is he relabels her past. Yes, he exposes her past. That was already kind of done by somebody else. And we have to get over this fear that it's going to come out. But when he exposes the past, he brings a judgment that I want you to hear, evaluation. Not shame, not condemnation. See, we're afraid of being judged. And I think we're more afraid of bringing judgment. But in the Bible, when we talk about judgment, there's two words. There's one of evaluation, and there's one of condemnation. And so I'm sure this woman thought that she was going to be damned by Jesus. And I, I mean the word in the most appropriate way. But he was really just evaluating the situation. And this evaluation is actually what enables him to relabel her past. If we never bring it up and we never let Jesus look at it, really, truly look at it, it'll never be relabeled. And when this happens, this is the good news. Yes, he sees the past. Yes, it's exposed. But Jesus doesn't just see what she's done. He sees her. And he sees how she is seeing herself. Do you know that Jesus sees how you see yourself? Yes, Jesus sees you, but he sees how you see you. And he protects her. This woman is thrust into a situation that is unjust, And he protects her. See, he doesn't just expose her actions and her past. He actually exposes the religious elite. In verse 6, we get this little thing that it says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And so so Jesus knows that the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they've done this really brutally, really forcefully. They've interrupted. They've, they've thrust her in. There's a court system. There's a religious court system where these people are supposed to be brought or anyone is supposed to be brought forward. So this isn't really the time or place, number one. But number two, the religious law actually requires that both parties in the adultery have to come forward. You can look at Leviticus 20 or you can look at Deuteronomy 22. Not just one, both. And Two credible witnesses. So Jesus is saying, this isn't really happening the way it's supposed to happen. But he patiently and and very intelligently protects her. 
He's not concerned what the other people think, because otherwise he'd go, well, if I do this, you know, if I say that, that she should go free, then, then they'll say I'm breaking the law, and, and that won't work, because then I can't be the Jewish Messiah. And if, if I say, no, you should stone her, then what, you know, what's going to happen to my image of friend of sinners? And that hashtag that has just become so popular, friend of sinners, Jesus, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to keep that. No, that's not at all on his radar. He's more concerned with doing the will of the Father and seeking God's honor and living in that authentic relationship with him than he is about pleasing someone. And he shines this light, relabels her past, relabels their past, and and then he comes forward and he replaces, number two, he replaces as the light of the world our present ambitions. Now, he's very careful about what he does here. It says in verse 6, the second part of verse 6, that he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And they kept questioning him and he straightened up and he said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stoops down and writes in the ground. Now, when I was a youth pastor, I just thought Jesus was playing in the dirt and that was really fun. We could go a lot of places with that. But the fact is that that this is the only time ever recorded in the whole Bible where Jesus actually writes. There's one other time that God writes with his finger when he gives the Ten Commandments to his people that don't even know how to be his people yet. And there's a, the writer, the editor, the person that was inspired to put this together, they want us to make that connection. That Jesus is writing a law just like God was writing a law. And so he, he casts light on the present ambitions of this woman. He doesn't ask if she thinks she deserves a fair trial. And he doesn't ask if, if she's guilty. He probably knows that already. But he does. And, 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 you know, often in the scriptures he says to someone, what do you want when they come for healing? He doesn't even ask that. Because at this moment, he is concerned about protecting her. Her ambitions have been totally thwarted. He's saying, watch and wait. And then he goes over to the religious elite. And he says to them, what's in your heart? He maybe, I mean, people would love to speculate about what he wrote. We're not sure. But there's a good chance that he wrote something to the effect of what he said. Because what he said is recorded, so that must be more important. There's a chance that the Pharisees and religious leaders, they would remember that Jesus already said, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If, if you look at a woman with lust, it's the same as committing adultery. If you... If you You know, the law says do not murder, but if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Jesus has continually raised the standard for months, for months, for months, for maybe a couple years at this point in the story. There's a chance he could have talked about that. There's a chance that he could have talked about the fact that they need credible witnesses. And so he says, hey, if you are free of sin in these matters, then you can judge her guilty and condemn her. And it's it's as if he's saying to the woman, you are not what you 
have done. But watch and wait. Let's see if this label really is supposed to be on you. And he shines a light on our present ambitions the same way that he shines a light on their present ambitions. I mean, later, John says that first in 1 John, it says, if we claim to be without sin, then we're just fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins, if we admit our sins, then he clears them away. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. And somehow we forget this. Maybe today, maybe today, you need to hear, you are not what you have done. You are not your past mistakes. You are not the labels that you got in middle school or high school or after you did something dumb. You are who God says you are. And we find out what he says. If, you, if you're not ready for it, what I think he's saying to the woman is, you've, you've waited. You've brought your past and your present into the light of Jesus, and you're standing here watching and waiting, but I want you to hear and see and feel my redemption. This idea that she can be permanently brought back after permanently being marked. And Jesus then, lastly, number three, third layer, Jesus, as the light of the world, redirects our future. He relabels our past. He replaces our present ambition. And he redirects our future. He says, at this, once he was writing in the ground, he stood up again, And now, those religious leaders who heard, they went away one at a time, the oldest first, down to the youngest, until only Jesus was left. And the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up, and he looked at her, and he asked, Woman, and that is not a condescending term, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? This is that judgment word. Has no one brought down this judgment of condemnation on you? And she is now relabeled. She is now exposed to her present ambition. No one is here to condemn me. She's getting the chance to see herself in the way that God might see her. And he says, then neither do I condemn you and redirects her future. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus redirected the future of those religious elite by posing that question, asking them if they were qualified, asking them if their heart was really pure, and they went away one by one to a new future. And you and I, every day, we have this opportunity to have our future redirected, to live in the light of Jesus, live in the love of Jesus, the grace and the truth and the the life that he offers. John has been saying this more and more and more throughout his gospel in Christ, we have life. The life was in him. The life was the light of the world, and the light shines in the darkness. 
and the darkness has not overcome it. If you're in a situation where you think this label will never, ever leave, you need to remember that Jesus is the image of the one true God, the God that when there was all darkness at the beginning, calls light out of darkness with no sun and no moon and no stars. There is no light. And yet Jesus, as the God of the universe, can bring light where there is no light. Do you have an impossible situation or a label that you just think is completely stuck on you? It will never, ever leave. This is the God who takes light out of nothing and brings it in to the light and the truth and the love and the grace of Jesus. I am redeemed. This is what he offers every single one of us. He does not say, go leave your life of sin and then I won't condemn you. Some people think that Christians or people who follow Jesus or that Jesus said that, go leave your life of sin, then I won't condemn you. No, I don't hold you to the guilt of now. I'm not judging you at this moment or I'm certainly not condemning you at this moment. I am judging you. I'm evaluating you. Go and leave your life of sin. He doesn't tell her what that is. He's relabeled her past, though. And he has replaced her present ambition. What do you want to live for? And he redirects her future. See, I think a changed heart is what causes a changed life. Otherwise, we're just trying and trying to be better. That's not going to work. Jesus says that he is the light and that life is the light of all mankind and the light shines in the darkness and this light is the truth and Jesus says the truth, when we know it and we follow it, it sets us free. When he says go live in the light, the light is the truth and the truth sets us free. And some of us have been carrying around labels that we have to get off. If you got a worship folder, you'll see in there, there's a little label. If you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand and somebody will bring you one right now. Just keep it up. You don't have to put it up super high in case you have to, you know, you weren't sure if you wore deodorant, not to try and be funny. It's one of my daughter's first day experiences of middle school. That was the icebreaker. List 20 ways that you can check your armpits for if you wore deodorant in an inconspicuous way, and I just ruined the holy moment. No, I didn't, because it relates, because we feel exposed when we do this. But you've carried around a label that I am something. Something you've said, something you've done, something that somebody told you because of something you've done, and it's time to get rid of it. It's time to let it go. It's time to let Jesus replace that and redirect that, because you are not your label. We are not these things. We are who God says we are. That horrid mistake that you just can't let go, Jesus has let it go. You can too. If he says you're forgiven and there's no condemnation for you, then why do you continue to condemn yourself? Put it down. No one else will read it. 
See Jesus as the person who is your advocate, who stands right next to you and says, no, there's no condemnation in me. I encourage you to write it down during the next song. Walk it up. Put it in this jar. We will get rid of them. I wanted to have a fire kind of like the tabernacles, but fire code. (laughs) And pick up one of these cards. It gives you a new label. It says you are redeemed. You are bought back. You have a new past, a new present, and a new future. Do you know that God says that you are forgiven? You are chosen. You are loved. You are protected. You are valuable. What are you? And who do you think you are?